Hello, I'm Rachel Zucker. Welcome to Commonplace, Conversations with Poets and Other People. This is episode 47 with Aaron M. Riley. When I started Commonplace, I imagined talking with many kinds of artists, makers, and thinkers. But for several reasons, it turned out that while the conversations have been wide-ranging and the poets with whom I've spoken do many kinds of things, only one of our first 46 episodes has featured someone who primarily identifies as something other than a poet. I'm talking about episode 19 with writer, activist, and co-founder of Bitch Media, Andy Zeisler. I could spend the rest of my life talking to living poets and never get bored. I could spend years filling in the gaps. Where are the international poets? What about translation? But to not speak about poetry, art, making, living with non-poets would be to not speak fully about being a poet. I am deeply, frequently, delightedly influenced by non-poets and by non-literary people and works. In fact, I think it's fair to say that as much as I love poets and poetry, I'm more often inspired by things and people outside the world of poetry than inside. And there's a way in which these influences have a special kind of intimacy and power. Perhaps it's because I'm not competitive with non-poets, or maybe it's the pleasure and strangeness of making sense of something outside my field of knowledge and experience, the pressure to develop a new vocabulary in order to translate across media and genre. I'm not sure. In any case, I am thrilled to bring you this episode with one of my new friends and new inspirations. She and her work are amazing. Erin M. Riley is a tapestry weaver living and working in Brooklyn, New York. Erin received her BFA from Massachusetts College of Art and Design and her MFA from Tyler School of Art. She has been weaving imagery culled from the internet and more recently photographs she has taken of herself using hand-dyed wool on a floor loom. A profile of Erin, it's nice that, included a list of items one might find in her work. Guns, syringes, bongs, vomit, sex, car crashing, no topic is too much to be recreated on Erin's loom. Her work has been exhibited at Art Basel, Miami, in Seattle-based Brian Ono Gallery's exhibition called Get Naked, and in Philadelphia's Paradigm Gallery, and elsewhere. Haven't you always wanted to know how and why someone becomes a weaver? Or maybe you didn't even know there were fine art weavers. Well, you're about to find out a lot about weaving and a lot about Aaron Riley. Aaron and I met at McDowell, an artist colony in Peterborough, New Hampshire, where I went for 28 glorious and difficult days from the middle of January to the middle of February. I intended to work only on my book of lecture essays, not on poems, not on commonplace, but I ended up recording two new episodes, this one that you're about to hear with Erin, and another with five amazing young women poets with whom I overlapped during my 28 days. Erin and I talk about McDowell, as well as many other things, including representing the self in art, non-erotic nudity, girlhood, pornography, and vulnerability. And yes, this episode has an E for explicit. It acknowledges the existence of things such as sex, pornography, masturbation, and other exciting topics. Aaron's work and this conversation helped me think about my own work and about poetry in general with more complexity and understanding. 
Aaron's work helps me think about my modes and methods of depicting the self, the relationship of my work to time, to selfies, to ego, to my body, to women's work. She helps me think about craft versus fine arts and what kinds of labor I embrace or reject. In the next episode, I will speak more specifically about McDowell, what it is, how it works, how I felt about my time there. Please visit commonpodcast.com to become a patron. Our show is entirely funded by patron support. Also on our website, you will find links to the artists and works we mentioned during this episode, and you can see photos of Aaron's McDowell studio. There you will also get access to a list of Erin's favorite podcasts and her favorite pro-sex feminists. To see more of Erin's work, visit her webpage, erinmreilly.com, or follow her on Instagram, where she is at erinmreilly. Erin and I spoke in her large, slightly echoey cement floor studio at McDowell in early February 2018. Erin. Hi. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here too. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm in your studio. Um, okay, so I'm trying to just like get a little bit settled. Mm-hmm. I had a bump in the road metaphorically on my way here with yes. my family. So I'm trying to put that aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am so excited to talk to you. I love your work, even though I only have known about it for 20 something days. And mm-hmm. I only saw it firsthand or in real life, uh, two nights ago. And I am totally fascinated by you, even though when did we meet 23 days? How long, how many days have you been here? I got here the 23rd of January. Okay, so I'm, I know this is my 25th day. Okay, so I'm maybe um, 18 days. 18 days. Yeah. So we met 18 days ago, um, and I think it's really interesting, and maybe we'll come back to this. Like, I feel from my side that there's like a particular kind of intimacy that develops when you are socially... Um, isolated but Mm -hmm. then you have like a very limited social interaction and also you're like in the process of like intensively making creative work so we're both here at McDowell I'm sitting Mm -hmm. in your studio and we often have dinner at the same table and I have loved talking to you um so I want to talk to you about how you became a weaver and about weaving and about McDowell and um, probably because I'm totally self-involved, um, my I I'm also hoping that either implicitly or explicitly talking to you uh, will help me move out of this like really weird stuck place that I'm in in okay. my work. But if it doesn't, that's okay because I'm just pretty psyched to hear about you. Okay. Um. Last time I was here. Your work was hanging on the walls, and um, as I recall, there was a tapestry on one side that was of um, a screenshot of um, 
texts that you had received from a stalker mm-hmm. and then um on what was on this wall it was a self-portrait a self-portrait and um what remind me what was on there that was wall? a domestic violence police report right and it was the text it yeah, was like the text. the text of the report and then there was one more a screenshot from pornography right okay and the screenshot had like the image of a frozen scene and yes. as well as the um, arrow that shows the like the play, the play button mm-hmm. um, and it had like dialogue from the actual porn right. scene yeah okay I just wanted to like set the stage um, it's so funny to do a podcast of with a visual artist because of course nobody can see us but right. it's also weird to do a podcast of anything right yeah <laughs> yeah um, okay, so talk to me. Let's just like start wherever you want. How did you become a weaver? Yeah, I mean, I was actually just reading old journals. I brought a bunch of my old journals because I always kind of get distracted at home when I'm rereading them. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm coming. I'm going to trap myself in the woods and try to reread these things. Um, and it was talking about how... I was just this like laborer Mm. and um, creating an idea and then translating that idea. And I was writing about how I felt very disconnected about that. Like um, I wasn't feeling naturally connected to the medium Uh and it's so different now. Like for me, weaving is so part of the process like sketching designing um has almost become it's all one and the same now Mm. so I think as more of like a weaver now which okay wait let's go back for a second because so first of all where what from what period of time were these journals that you were rereading the one I just read is from senior year of college so Okay. okay so I learned um So in sixth grade, we had home ec and it was, um, sewing was one of the things. And I won my class's sewing machine race, like threading the sewing machine. And I just really liked sewing with a sewing machine. So I made my pillow, I made my stuffed animal, I made all these things. And then, um, I asked for a sewing machine for Christmas Hmm. and I got a sewing machine and um, my little sister and I shared a room. So it would come to the point where like my little sister was sleeping on the couch because I was (laughs) um, sewing all night and um, you know, my stepdad would come in and say, we got to go to bed. Like I have to bring Carly into the room. Like you got to stop sewing So I was just really obsessed and I made a lot of failures and I was, um, it was just something that like captivated me. Mm -hmm. So sewing was something that I always did. And then I did like journaling, collages, paintings through high school Mm -hmm. and, um, applied to art school just to get out of my hometown. You were growing up in Cape Cape Cod. Cod. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I applied to art schools in Boston and Mass Art had a weaving studio that's just this massive room full of looms. And I'd never seen a loom before. Mm-hmm. And I'm very pragmatic. So, like, my first elective, I was like, 
I'm going to maybe major in fibers and weaving is a required elective. So like I have to, or a requirement. And so I was like, it was very pragmatic. Freshman year, my first thing would be weaving. Hmm. And I didn't not take weaving from then on. Wow. So yeah, it was just you something I hooked loved onto. it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And was it, was it, it like, do you, was it because you had a great teacher? Was it because you there was something about the the process that just you were like, oh, this feels right to me? Yeah, I mean, weaving is very math driven, and I really love like in high school I got A's in math and art, mm. and that's it. Like all the other classes were kind of up and down. Math was like I loved math, and weaving is like all about multiplication and like huge numbers and repetition and patterns so to me it like ticked all of these boxes of like order and disorder like Mm -hmm. rules and structure but also once you got there like once you got to that level you could also sort of screw things up a bit Mm. which was fun Okay, so you ended up majoring in fibers, mm-hmm. but then, but with, you know, your emphasis in love was with weaving. Yes. And then what happened when you graduated? I, um, I was like, you know, what do I do after art school? So the most logical and respectful thing was grad school, trying to apply to grad school. And I was young. I was young for my grade always. Mm. So... I was, a lot of my teachers were like, you know, you need a gap year, you need, you know, grad schools won't accept you, and you need time in between, and one of the other Fibers people was applying to, so we were both like, we're just going to try, and we both got into schools, and um, we went to different schools, but yeah, I ended up going to Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia, which... um, they gave me an assistantship and yeah I mean it was like this hard transition between uh, like the four years of art school and then being like okay so now I'm an artist so grad school was the logical respectable way of continuing to be an artist for two more years um and in these journals I have these like grandiose ideas of like what my future will be like (laughs) like it's just stupid, but, um, what were they like, just like being a professor and that being a professor is just like easy and you make a lot of money and <laughs> it's like totally un- unrealistic. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So then I went to grad school and that was interesting. I mean, I think, um, the department was really small. It was only me for my year. And then there were two second years and then two first years of my second year. Um, it was really small. It was like they kind of pushed me and um but it was good. It was two years I needed and then I graduated and 
then were, I had to figure it out. Were there other, it, I, and forgive me, like I, I know nothing about like what the requirements are and what the feeling is like when you're getting a master of fine arts that's like actually arts, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as opposed to poetry. Yeah. Um, so did you, were, were you able to just weave or did you have to do a bunch of other stuff? There were a lot of requirements, like uh-huh. classes, but I ended up doing a lot of summer classes just so that my thesis semester was just open, just mm. like studio classes. But yeah, there would always be like a critique studio class that you just would have critiques. Like we would all critique each other's work every week. But there's only like five people. Well, no, these or, were like more like in the painting department or sculpture. Uh, you could like join those classes. So I was getting a lot of feedback from people outside of my department. Fascinating. Yeah. And how was your work received by the other um, students there and the teachers? Um, it was... It was fine. I mean, I had a lot of people say, like, they were tired of hearing my story, hmm. which was... Um, You know, a lot of art is intellectual and um, abstract and um, referential to past artists and movements. And my work was always very emotional and narrative-based. So you're doing critiques with people who are hearing the same stories of, um, you know, family drama and trauma. So... um, they were like, we're tired of hearing your story. Um, but. And by hearing your story, they mean when you were showing your work, it was telling the same story. Not that as you showed your work, you were saying by con- either contextualizing your work or, or talking about your process that that wasn't the story. Um, I think it was a little bit of both. I think in the beginning when I was making work, I explained too much. Hmm. I was very, I was sort of um, carrying the burden of expression with, by explaining it. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, an insecurity or just like a feeling like the work doesn't speak for itself. Hmm. Um, and I was working, I was new to, fairly new to weaving, you know, I was like five years out and it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do because I technically wasn't skilled in the ways that I wanted it to be. So I was carrying that. Um, And yeah, maybe, and I think it was true, you know, and maybe they were just tired of it in like an insensitive way, but also like don't talk so much, mm. which is a good sort of thing to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, the work needs to say what what you're saying. Right. So. Okay, so you get out of grad school, and you've basically been in school your whole life. Mm-hmm. You've got six years of um, training as an artist. Mm-hmm. What, where, like, where did, you, I picture <laughs> you, like, Paddington Bear, you know, like, like, where, which way should I go? Yeah. Well, like, the first choice is you get a loft, right? Mm. So I moved into this, like, there were these artists, lo- I was in Philadelphia, so there was these artist lofts, and it was like, okay, I can't afford this, so I got a few roommates, and then I was like, and then all the rooms don't have walls that go all the way up to the ceiling and you kind of lose your mind because you hear everyone doing everything and 
I was trying to do the live work situation and it just wasn't happening. So I moved out of there, got a separate studio, got a super cheap room in this like apartment, an actual apartment where everyone had a door and the ceilings went all the way and we had privacy. Mm. Um, And I just started working Mm. and it was really great because for the first time ever I had, I was making work that no one was seeing Mm. and I was making work that like I secretly always wanted to make, but I was too like scared of the critique next week to, to make it. So yeah, I started making some like weird stuff and um, I was working at Whole Foods, mm-hmm. which is how I was paying my bills. And I was applying like obsessively to residencies and I got my first residency the year after. Wow. Yeah. And how what, can you uh, say like what what were some of the things that came that started to come into your work that wouldn't have if you had had to show it? Yeah, so so through undergrad and grad, both of my sisters were dealing with addiction. Mm-hmm. They were, and the whole family as a whole was dealing with addiction, was dealing with like the codependency of rehab and jail and um, the drama. Mm. Daily, you know, just like the highs and lows of drama. And through graduate school they got sober Hmm. and it was like, I'm a person now. So like, not only did I have privacy of a studio, I had like, I had no drama. So for the first time I was like, what are my things? Like, what am I not dealing with that I've put off for like years? And um, I got into this show with some work I had made at the end of grad school and I won best in show Mm. and the prize for that was a solo show. So for the first time I had to make a solo show that was like uninhibited. And I made a show called daddy issues because, um, early twenties, that's a, it's a term that's used to describe promiscuous young women. And I, was semi-promiscuous, and I also literally had daddy issues. Uh So I was like, this is a thing that, um, is it a cause, is it an effect? Like, I started to sort of, like, fuss out or, like, push through these um, terms and, and, like, um, risky behaviors, you know, I'd always been pretty hard and judgmental when it came to addiction because I never drank, I never did drugs. Um, I was always pretty conservative in that manner um, or controlled. So to me, I was always very judgmental, like that's risky behavior, how selfish, how um, stupid and... um, but all the while, you know, sort of like sleeping with strangers and, um, you know, not thinking about STDs or not, not being responsible with my own body, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I started to really go, oh, you're like kind of a hypocrite. <laughs> mm. 
and um you got to deal with some of these things because they're not as bad as using drugs or whatever but like they can be they can be just as jarring and just as um um they can leave lasting marks Mm -hmm. so yeah so I was making work about um I was using the internet and I was finding a lot of images of like wet t-shirt contests and drinking culture and I was researching a lot about like college campuses and drinking rates of young women who sort of try to keep up with men and um the idea of gateway drugs and all those things Hmm. yeah and um, how, at that point, how would you say your work looked different than maybe how it, how it looks now? It was really flat. Like I used to make um, figures where there were no real shadows. It was all one color. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So I would use the um, sort of mark makings of the process to delineate like a curvature of um, like an arm or like the elbow or under a breast or something. And rather now I use color and shading, Uh actual shading. So um, they're much flatter. And was that, has, has that been a conceptual shift or a technical, like you, you, you weren't technically able to do that or you didn't even know that you wanted to? Yeah, I think it was more like I thought that that was the way Mm. to do it. And then um, I was just listening to something where it's like you learn things without knowing you're learning things. And I learned how to do these things without really like being like, oh, this needs more detail. But just realizing that it became an easy way to do things. So I thought, okay, what's a what's a more challenging way to create more detail or more depth. Mm. Okay. So you, you get, have this solo show, you're exploring for the first time, like your own drama, your own issues, mm-hmm. you're, like trying to think about that. And it's, and I'm so interested in that in terms of also how, like what I see in your work, your recent work in terms of like the daddy issues, both being something that's like you know, really worth investigating from the inside, but also really worth thinking about the ways in which other people or society or the male gaze or Mm -hmm. all these things are sort of like, you know, defining you uh, in a certain way from the outside and how much do you want to like reclaim or uh, that interesting um, kind of uh, overlapping stuff around daddy issues and how much do you want to say you know that's not my that's not really a good way of describing yeah who I am so okay so you have the solo show mm-hmm. and um, were there self-portraits in it there weren't yet but I was dating somebody who was obsessed who for the first time was very open about their obsession with porn mm. and like um, you know, as this like liberated, I was learning about feminism and I was like, okay, this is totally cool. Like I'm not threatened by this, but there was this Twitter account that he followed and it was like, it was a porn star and it was like, she would take selfies every day. Mm. And I first was like, you know, like glowing with sort of rage or just fear. And, but 
by the 40th selfie, it was just redundant. It was just completely boring and not interesting. So um, I used one of her selfies because I was like, oh, this is really interesting that like something that seems exciting and fleeting in the moment can become void of any meaning once you see like a million of them. Mm. And like almost how sad that is because I've sent selfies and I want them to be important and like intimate, but they can lose meaning, you know, the more we send them or the more we look at them. So I was kind of thinking about the selfie as this odd way of presenting ourselves online, um, an interesting way of relating to each other. So, yeah, there were no self-portraits, but I was sort of starting to think of myself in lieu of these women. Like, they were sort of, like, reflecting my personal reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of what I love so much about your work is the strange complexity of, like, what it means or what it feels like really to come into contact with something that you know and can see and can feel took a long time to make Mm -hmm. um, and to like see the time in it but to have it um, so many of the images are of like computer, you know, s- selfies or screenshots or, or, um, or two dimensional objects. Mm-hmm. And, and in the case of like a selfie or, or a screenshot, maybe like not even two dimensional, right. um, like a totally and, and ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And, and so to then have it translated into tapestry is just like wild to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is wild. And like, Sometimes I forget that. Like, sm-hmm. sometimes I forget, because tapestry is just the way it always is for me. Like, I'm weaving every day. And there's, like, sometimes I have to remind myself that, like, I get on the train and, like, that person doesn't know what a loom is, you know? It's yeah. like, I, this is my weird reality. But, um, so to me, it makes sense. But, and really, like, I was, when I started weaving and I was thinking about a lot of heavy things, for me, it was about slowing down and like taking the time and really obsessing over every detail and being um, deliberate mm. with my actions. Mm-hmm. So conceptually, it was like there was a connection, mm-hmm. but eventually it just became what was the way, how I make work. So this is definitely like a, a, a writer's anxiety that's fueling this particular question, mm-hmm. but like you know, either then or now, like how, how worried are you about making a mistake? And I don't mean in the weaving, I mean more like, you know, when there were all of these, um, selfies from the porn star, you had to choose one. Mm -hmm. How, how, how do you make a selection of images that are kind of meant to be ephemeral? And in this case, part of what you were, kind of interested in was the way in which when you have so many of them, they all become sort of irrelevant, but, but by yeah. choosing one and then by deliberately and slowly, um, translating it, you know, into a tapestry, you, you were 
making it really relevant and spending a lot of time with it? Like, were you like, oh my God, I better pick the right one? Yeah. Um, for me, like the selfies are the ones that seem the most natural. Like the ones I really love are the ones that have, you know, like the toilet paper in the background. They have the pile of clothing in the background. They have the personal details that like tell you. So the one that I chose, I think of her was her in these like really specific underwear. Mm. And she was like, they just seemed very specific to her. And, um, like her shower in the back, which was like what she always took her pictures in front of. And, um, yeah, I think we've moved away from bathroom selfies. Like it's been long enough where people are like, oh yeah, I should probably take pictures outside of the bathroom. Uh But there was like a really funny time when people were always taking bathrooms and it was like, yeah, just like shaving cream and just like toothpaste and like something I really love about like being a young girl is just that obsession with your body Mm. and almost like an over obsession where you're like the thighs and the stomach and the hair and um it's so narcissistic that you literally forget that there's like a tube of you know like yeast infection medicine on the and it's like because you're so oblivious to everything that surrounds you Mm. that your stomach looks amazing and so like it doesn't matter what's on the counter and I love that I love that you have to stop breathing for a picture because like that's how your body you think your body looks the best Mm -hmm. like it's crazy but it really makes you realize okay yeah that's why you forgot that there's like your dog is licking its butt in the back of the picture (laughs) you know Uh um it really like lends itself to realize like, oh yeah, we all need to like breathe. Yeah. (laughs) Stop holding our breath. But you're, but it's interesting because you're not saying like you love those um, both because they reveal these tendencies to, to, you know, hold our breath or Mm want to look a certain way or have this like really mono focused kind of view of the, of the body of the self. Um, But um on the one hand, it's like, yeah, we have to remember to breathe mm-hmm. and like recognize that we are like living, moving, aging, yeah. you know, beings. But it's not that you're like, oh, we have to remember to like put the yeast infection stuff no, away. No, no, no. Right. It's yeah, like those it's are the we ones. Are all the same. Yeah. So that's like something I've been like as a young woman, it was always like I um, like periods or yeast infections or UTIs. It was like this thing that often was caused by sex but you could never talk to your partner about it Mm -hmm. and it was like so you're gonna use that part of my body but when it behaves differently than how it's supposed to behave um we're just gonna pretend like that part of the body doesn't exist and we're gonna avoid it and make jokes or excuses and then once it's healed we'll go back to it right so I was like part of something that I've been thinking about is like like we are only as sexy as our periods like we are menstruators I'm a menstruator and 
if you want to find me sexy, this is part of my existence. Mm. So um, it's not always as easy as said than done. But like I've been making a lot of work about periods and yeah, you had one image at least had a tampon in it. Yeah. How many how many tapestries have you made <laughs> with tampons? Um, I think there's probably been like probably six or seven, mm-hmm. maybe more, but. Yeah, it's just something that's so interesting. Like, like the every time I go on a different birth control, it changes. The colors are so amazing. And it's like, sometimes it's really cool and like odd. And um, these experiences with your body that um, tell you things mm. and you know yourself in a way that... Um, sometimes it's like sometimes it's so amazing to have your period on like exactly you know regular you're like damn (laughs) and it's like no you can't high five people about that there's no party like Mm -hmm. it's just like I'm regular and it's like such a bizarre secret we all keep okay so here's a here's a question let me see if I can ask it the right way how much of how much of the things that you uh, put in your work for you are about wanting to express exactly what you just said of like, look, this is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Let's not have this, this taboo, this hierarchy of like, okay, well, you love me, you know, or you're interested in my body in these days and not in these days and these ways and not in these ways as a way of like bringing into conversation into making things visible that are usually hidden as a way of normalizing them and and celebrating them and how much of it is for you like a real thrill of bringing the taboo into a tapestry into a gallery Mm -hmm. into a showroom and that actually like if those things were normalized you wouldn't want to show them anymore yeah I mean I think like in the beginning when I was making the selfie pieces, they were really like, people were shocked, Mm. you know? And like, I actually had like a peer who became a professor who was like, your work is shocking. And I was like, this is literally what the internet looks like. Like, (laughs) where are you? Um, It was almost like I was thinking like, really, this is not that shocking. And I would have college students who were like, this is not shocking. Like I had a, someone bring me to a college and they were like, isn't this crazy? And all the students were like, no, this is mm. not crazy. Um, but were the students like, <clears throat> no, it's not crazy to talk about this. No, it's not ta- crazy yeah. to have. Or, but, but certainly I don't think they had seen tapestries no, of that. No. Right. Okay. No. So, cause there's two different things. There's right. like, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like for me, I, think like the only way to deal with things is to talk about them so yeah I think if these things become normalized I probably won't work with them Mm -hmm. and the more I deal with my own like it's all very natural like once something becomes repetitive for me it's not no longer you know like something I work with Mm mm-hmm Okay, so when did you start making the self-portraits? Or if you want to do it chronologically, we could go back to what happened after your solo show. Oh, yeah. So let's see. 
So I got um, the solo show, and then I was in this magazine, and then somebody that um, ran a blog, wrote, wrote for a blog, um, posted about my work on a blog. And then the blog led to a gallery picking my work up. So I was, a lot of the work from Daddy Issues went to San Francisco. And I started showing in the Bay Area like once a year. Hmm. Um, and sort of slowly, you know, establishing this like sh- exhibition record or whatever. So I was like showing regularly. Um, and I was making a lot of work about this like, drinking culture and drugs and um substance abuse and then oh and then I was at a residency and um met this person who had mutual friends and it was the first experience I'd ever had when someone didn't stop when we were hooking up Mm. and the first experience that I had when I had marks on my body the next day and um I was alone in the city that I I didn't know and I was like I just took a bunch of pictures of my body and um just as a way of kind of like you know because they would fade so I was like I'm just going to take some pictures as a record Mm. um for no reason but just as a record and um ended up using some of those pictures, one of them to weave. And I wove it, but without my tattoos, which um, it was, it's a fine piece, but I think adding my tattoos creates this like, like reality, like this is me, whereas the other pieces are other people. Mm. So I think there's like an importance to owning the, the image Mm -hmm. so that was the first one I'd ever done of me that was 2011 so yeah it just kind of started from there where I was like um doing a lot of residencies and I was sort of living like this hermit style like never really having an apartment and traveling a lot and I was having a lot of long distance relationships Mm. that were image based. So I had all these images of myself and I had all these images coming in and being inspired. And, um, it was this fun and easy way of, um, relating to people was affordable, you know, to send images back and forth. So I had tons of images and then I got to this point where I was like, Oh yeah, I can just, look through my phone Hmm. and look through and try and, um, you know, weave these, start to weave myself Mm -hmm. rather than look for selfies online, um, use the ones I've been taking. So, and how was that process the same or different as the earlier process of selection? Like, what was it, you know, you had all these images of yourself. Do you have a sense of like, what were the elements of an image that made you want to pick that one to weave? Yeah, it was similar things. It was like, you know, like um, specifics, like underwear or um, scene, like background, mm-hmm. um, being oblivious of the background. Or um, I started, I did a whole series, like 
where it was kind of like an undressing. So it was like from the beginning of a conversation to the end of the conversation. Mm. Um, and I ended up like destroying the ones at the end because I was completely nude and I was like not willing yet to, to reveal that. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. It was very revealing, very um, scary. But it was good. How was it different to, or is it, mm-hmm. to take an image, to make an image of yourself to send to a particular person who you are having whatever kind of relationship you're having versus to um, make a tapestry of an image of yourself that's going to be displayed to strangers, to people, you know, to, to an audience that, that maybe contains, uh, people that you are talking to, Mm -hmm. but also just who knows. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like, for me, something about art, like quote unquote art, it removes it's like anything can be art or there's like this level of like um permission that's Mm. just like um intellectualized or um I get very logical and serious when it comes to my work Mm -hmm. and almost like irrationally so like as soon as I'm ready to weave a tapestry, I have to agree and tell myself that I'm spending, you know, 80 hours on this piece. And there's like some like denial and actually believing that or like accepting that you just go, Mm. you know, you go on this kind of crazy journey of like mental stamina and physical stamina. And then once the piece is done, you're kind of mad at it. Like I'm always, I always hate my work when it's done and, um, I resent it a little and it's like this thing that exists like despite me or in spite of me. And it's like, I don't really have a lot of emotions for my work once Mm. it's done. So once it's heading to a show, it's like, take it. It's like, go like, let it be and it's like not even me anymore so oh my gosh that's so fascinating because uh, in so many ways <laughs> so when when uh when I was here the other night for your open studio um I think it might have been Jenny who asked you is it pleasurable mm-hmm. and you said I wish I could do your tone of voice <laughs> but you said yeah but with I and I heard your voice your your tone as like what an odd question (laughs) like why why would I do it if it weren't pleasurable yeah of course it can't can't you see how pleasurable it is like this is like the most this is the best thing ever yeah and um on the way home Jenny and I were talking to Eric um Jenny is a writer and Eric is a painter Mm -hmm. and both of us were indulging in some very serious um, visual artist envy and both of us were saying how much we hate writing mm-hmm. and Eric was like I don't understand what's going on here like what I, I think you know 
he just he was he was confused by yeah <laughs> by the emotional tenor of <laughs> of our of our strange you know jealousy mm-hmm. um so it's interesting that that first of all that the that the process itself like that the, that the, the be- in the beginning, it requires a certain kind of denial mm-hmm. that of like how long it's going to take and what this entails. But then when you're actually doing it, it's super pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, you hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like it uses you up mm. and then you're just like, oh, you're just that. Like you're just going to lay there and be there and be done. Like you're just done. I don't need you anymore. Like now I need somebody else. If I were a therapist right now, I know I'd have something to say, (laughs) but I can't figure out right this second what it is. We'll come back to that. No, I know. It's like, um, there are pieces I really love that. And I also have a hard time with ego. Like, like obviously we, and I think textile artists, I have this theory that textile artists all have a problem with ego and that's why textile art is like kind of on the low end because we all get so much pleasure from the making that we often don't have the time or the energy to advocate for our work mm-hmm. or make it take up space or so we're all just like we just love making the work and like it can be whatever and who cares if it's not pressed or like it's not hung right like we kind of let these things fall by the wayside because we enjoy the process so much but um, I've been trying, like, I really care about how my work is presented and, um, yeah. So I think there is a problem with ego and I, w- I know I have an ego. I know I make work about, like, I make work of my body and I make work about personal things and shove these things into people's faces. And, um, I know that requires an ego, but, um, and sometimes I, like the medium itself is always kind of like nagging you on. Like there's like something you could do better or, um, you know, I always envy artists who are just like so proud, Mm. like so done and proud. Um, and I don't know what that is. I think, you know, maybe it's childhood stuff or never being told you're good enough. (sighs) <sighs> okay, we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that and then back to ego, which is super important. But you mentioned presentation, and I wanted to bring up something that you said at dinner the other mm-hmm. night about um, about people telling you you're wrong, mm-hmm. um, in and particularly around the issue of Velcro. Yes, um, and I'm and so talk about that for a minute because to me that was a, an incredibly like meaningful um, insight into your process and your work, but also into my own in terms of trying to think about the difference between what kinds of work I want to do and what kinds of work I don't want to do. Will you tell about the old ladies, the grannies and the Velcro? Yeah, so um, with weaving, there's many steps, many tools to set the loom up. To even start setting the loom up, there are all these processes. And once you start weaving, there's the prep and there's the dye and then there's the weaving. And 
it's been widely sort of professed that finishing is also one of the an extra layer is like number three mm-hmm. and, and finishing doesn't mean just being done, done it means yeah. making it, means, it so yeah. it doesn't like unravel, unravel and yeah okay sorry Keep yeah going. yeah so finishing is just like re- readying it for presentation or whatever or exhibition um and for me you know I went to amazing schools I have amazing teachers and I have so many packets about finishing Mm. and they all take a lot of time and um I'm not a lazy person but I'm I don't like doing things that only need to be done because somebody says so like logic prevails in many cases and so you say I have a serger I have a sewing machine I have things that can do this process that like it's 2010 it's it's things plug into the wall like we can do things that are faster and I think psychologically we hold on to methods because there's like some gold star at the end because of our labor I think that's a very womanly thing to say I put so much labor into this I tortured myself and um, I tortured myself to weave it, but mm. I'm not going to torture myself to finish it. And I'm not going to spend a hundred hours or extra, um, like almost as much time weaving the piece to make it, um, museum, like level finished. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so there's this commonly held view that tapestry should be finished by hand sewing a strip of Velcro to the back and then attaching Velcro to a piece of wood and that piece gets hung and screwed into the wall and then you Velcro your piece to the piece of Velcro. Mm -hmm. So, um, So yeah, I started showing my work in San Francisco in these galleries that had no experience showing tapestries and I was showing them in ways that were the easiest for me. The fact like they looked good. Mm -hmm. They were easy, affordable and fast and user friendly. I was sending my work to places that had no experience working with textiles. So I want them to be super user friendly. So because I couldn't afford to travel to hang my work so um yeah I never wanted a collector to say oh I really love this piece but I don't know how to hang it Mm. and that was something I knew that was like a pitfall so so yeah I started doing that and then I would get these emails or messages on Facebook and you were stapling them right you were yeah I I started stapling them you were sorry you were machine sewing yeah I was surging them which is like finished edge, like mm-hmm. industrial finished edge on the sewing machine, and then um, stapling it over a piece of wood and then attaching hooks to the back of that. Got it. So, yeah, they hang okay. like a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need two screws and you hang it. It's super easy. And um, I was getting all these, like, private messages from people who are saying, that's not the way to hang work. <laughs> And I was like, okay, like, I know that, but um, I choose to do it this way. And 
it's the easiest way and they they sort of always said like you know you have to accept that tapestry <laughs> takes a long time to finish tapestries um <laughs> and i was just like you know there's this weird thing about people who know things that like they are obsessed with telling people they know things mm -hmm. and it's like i understand that so much like there's so many times in my life where people come to me and they're like are you in are you the intern mm. like and i'm just like no i know things and like there's no amount of like stomping my feet to convince somebody i know things like but i'm just like thank you i appreciate the knowledge like you know i know this pdf like i'd been sent this pdf of how to hang a tapestry <laughs> um and i <laughs> i knew it like i'd yeah. seen it and i had deliberately not done it that way and I'm still like kind of flabbergasted by the way or the insistence of people who know things to to tell people they're doing things wrong mm -hmm. like I'm just not sure why we do that and why they do that like if that validates their existence to like I don't know have, have there been any um, weavers who have been like, oh my God, you have <laughs> you, you changed my life because when I realized I could just do it this way, it opened up everything for me. Not really. No, why? And why have you, why is this not a revolution? Because <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, you know, from the outside, you know, for someone who's like not in this mm -hmm. world, the, I mean, it is totally familiar to me on one on the one hand because I'm constantly, you know, thinking about this so much, like people telling me what to do and the ways in which I ask people for for help in which maybe I shouldn't or what I accept or I reject or mm -hmm. whatever. All this stuff is super, like, totally intrinsic, I feel like, to being an artist and particularly to being a woman mm -hmm. uh, and a woman artist. But But it's so funny because it's like, really – they're fighting for Velcro. <laughs> right. Because like Velcro, it's not like it's some kind of like archival process from, uh, you know, the 1800s. Yeah. It's like Velcro. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so, it's so helpful to me to hear that because it seems so ridiculous yeah. to me. Yeah. That it's, it, I'm sure that actually the things that I am told to do a certain way are equally ridiculous. Yeah. It's just harder for me to see outside of like my own medium. Mm -hmm. But but why is it not? Why is it has it there not been an Aaron Riley um, revolution of? Um, I don't know. No, I think people like to behave, uh -huh. and I think people like to be in a group of people who behave. Okay, so so let me just ask this. Like <laughs> somebody sees, you know, one of your tapestries that has a bloody tampon and mm -hmm. they're concerned about the way it's finished. Like Right. Le yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so so now God, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's very interesting. <laughs> I think they may be sublimating something. So, and how what about the response to the content? Yeah, I mean, like I've had a lot of cool responses. I've had a lot of people who go, oh my God, I had no idea this could be done in tapestry. Like, like, 
as if the yarn just behaves on its own <laughs> like as if flowers are all yarn can be like what uh-huh um and if it's just crazy like you know in the beginning like my work was labeled erotic and I was like it's not erotic it's just what it is like it's mm. just nudity like nudity it's not erotic like they kept trying to like put me in these boxes and I was just like this is just the work I make like you know not your grandmother's tapestries and it's like I didn't my grandmother was she was like a she worked at the Hallmark store and like she was a substitute teacher and she like always had maroon nails and smoked like she wasn't weaving tapestries whose grandmother is weaving tapestries so um yeah and then like grandma masturbates like who cares like it's just this weird like you know like I didn't grow up in a world where like femininity and women's work was this like was a part of my life so I didn't know that there was a thing we did you know to um show that we will be a good wife or like mm. that we will be skilled or like um it wasn't part of my like understanding of textiles I learned textiles in the context of art mm. so weaving was just a tool to use to make color and to like you know it was like just another way of gesture and drawing and all of these things so um yeah you weren't making a blanket yeah yeah right I had made blankets and enjoyed a weaving but then I realized that tapestry existed and it was a way of putting content as hard as I might um into a tapestry into mm -hmm. an image you know mm -hmm. um one of the, uh, there was, uh, I think it was a Huffington Post uh, review of one of my books, and the title of it was <laughs> Not Your Mother's Motherhood Poems. <laughs> it's like, okay, you, first of all, you don't know my mother. Yeah. You know? um, okay, so, and, okay, so some people are, I, I, <laughs> some people are surprised that yarn is able to do what you make it do, right. which is fascinating. You're the boss. Yeah. It's not the boss. <laughs> yeah. And then some people must be like super excited about like, you know, opening up the medium and, you yeah. know, and disrupting the space and disrupting the gallery and, um, you know, in ways that painters also do and other visual artists mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Um, and, and what's that been like for you to, even if you kind of weren't raised with a particular notion of what femininity, you know, was supposed to look like or be like, um, have there been moments where either your family or, or people that you care about are like, whoa, I feel uncomfortable or I'm not sure you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom once called me and said, I was looking at your website and like, maybe you should make a folder where there are naked pictures so people who don't want to see naked pictures can not see them. Mm. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe that's right. Um, and I did that for a little while and then I was like, no, I'm that's crazy. Um and then there's also been times when I've talked about like my trichotillomania and made work about that. And then 
had people go, I don't oh know what God. that is. So trichotil- did you use a word that I wouldn't know? So I wouldn't ask. No, <laughs> okay. no. Trichotillomania is like plucking. Uh-huh. It's like, there's also dermatillomania, which is skin picking, uh-huh. plucking. It's like, it's an OCD impulse control thing. And so I've always had that. And like through, it's my, always been my way of dealing with anxiety. Mm. It's more typically, um, talked about in movies or whatever by hair pulling. Uh And a lot of people choose to, or like instinctively pull their hair from their scalp. But I plucked Uh my hair from all of, all over my body, um, when I was nervous or anxious or, um, you know, feeling out of control. So I made a piece recently about that of me plucking and I had all of these weavers like and all of these knitters who were just like, um, I do that too. Mm. And like, I've never seen it represented and I've never, and like I weave specifically because it keeps my hands busy. And that's almost, that's like one of the many reasons why I weave is there's times when I'm at, I'm weaving and I feel like over overcome with the urge to pluck. Mm. And sometimes I do, like sometimes I just do it because I know I can stop. Um, but weaving really distracts from that. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's been something where people are like, Oh, this is really cool. Um, and it sort of relates to the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. And I think there's something also like, you know, with photography, things feel, it's like there's a, there's a mediation between reality and the tapestry and it's become almost like cartoon or like, um, it's not real. Mm-hmm. So it can be something that's separate from, I don't know, people consume it differently. People who want to and are open and are like ready to talk about things, I've had amazing conversations about like masturbation and um, pornography with people who, you know, or like queerness or sexuality. And um, that's like, I think there's something like approachable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've also had really horrible and mean um, conversations with people because there's almost like by admitting or being somebody who is alternative and a weaver it sort of implicates other weavers you know it's like this like no we can i can be the crazy weaver and that doesn't mean all weavers are you know this thing Uh uh-huh so people kind of feel like defensive about the medium and like keeping it on the straight and narrow. Right. Um, so yeah. The other night at dinner, I was going on and on about some thing about my work <laughs> and you, I was, I, th- I think I was, ta- it was mostly writers at the table and I was talking about writing prose about poetry and all the stuff. And you said, wait, what's prose? Mm-hmm. And it was, there was just silence for like a few seconds. And then I think someone said like, oh, something that's not in verse, you know, it's not poetry. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, so first of all, thank you, because that, <laughs> I realized that one of the things that 
the book I'm writing is about mm-hmm. is what is prose. Oh, um, and wow. I, had, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, and then also this question, which you are talking about right now and that helping me think about this, like through your work has helped me think about, because I think that, um, like my poems are extremely transparent and accessible and autobiographical. And you know, it's sort of like, um, you making uh, a tapestry of yourself and including your tattoos. And like my work is recognizable. There's there, there are markers like so many of them that identify it as me, Mm -hmm. even like putting my own name in the poem or, you know, whatever. And, um, but there's an interesting way in which somehow in this analogy, and it's not a perfect analogy, which is good, but it's sort of like the poem is to tapestry as prose is to photography. Like there is a way in which, um, even though poetry and prose are both, you know, made of words, mm-hmm. there's like, and, and even though like, I feel like I couldn't be more clear mm-hmm. and it's almost like I'm just making memoir, but yeah. mine happens to be in poetry. There is a way in which I think the poetry both like protects me mm-hmm. and it like, there's an obscuring element to the form Yes, and then people don't I don't know they have like a different response and they've had a really different response to my prose which they get much more upset about even Hmm. if to me it's much less revealing or much less angry or much less whatever the things are that they feel concerned about yeah so that's one thing that's super super interesting to me and then I think there is this other aspect too of feeling like poetry is both like a place where I feel my most disobedient (laughs) and like my most um, alternative. Like in a lot of ways, I feel like my life looks and is very conforming. Um, And I feel like poetry is the place where I get to misbehave. But it's really tricky for me because I also feel like this weird thing thing about like not wanting to be like the mad woman poet in the (laughs) attic Mm -hmm. and like and to not have people be to look at my poems and be like see all those crazy oversharing hysterical bleeding Mm -hmm. you know shrill harpy women yeah poets yeah why can't you just rhyme you know, or why can't mm-hmm. you just like, you know, be decorous, like, and be like yeah. something I can handle. So it's like it, I, cause I don't want to be something somebody can handle, mm-hmm. but then I saw like also have some kind of like, and I feel that pressure both from the inside and from other people, like when they're, you know, what, you know, reading my work or responding to my work of like, it's too messy. It's too long. It's too overbearing. I'm like, you know, everybody always you know, if they ask me for work, they want something short. I don't make short <laughs> mm-hmm. work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, or they want something, you know, like this is a stupid story, but one of like, I, I live in New York. I've lived my whole life in New York. And like, I love those poems on the subway. And I, 
to me, it's like a dream to mm. have a poem on the subway. And I, I finally had like an in with somebody who is involved with that. And he said, um, he was leaving the, the organization that picks them. And he was like, Oh, just send me some, you know, send me a bunch of stuff. And then like, I'll look before I go. And I was like, Oh my God, this is my big shot. <laughs> and I literally, this was a few years ago. I looked through like every single thing I'd ever written and there was nothing I could send. Every single thing was either too long, had curse words, mm-hmm. or was in some way like totally inappropriate for the subway. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so interesting that even though I have this fantasy of like wanting my work to be in a really like democratic place, like with like regular people who are not poets mm-hmm. and don't need any special vocabulary to understand my work. Um, like that's who I feel like I'm making my poems for. I made poems that can't be in that space. Yeah. Like even in my own opinion. Yeah. Like don't put that there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I don't know. So it's been really, it's been really helpful for me to think about like some of those differences like I even I'll tell you one other very small thing that I've just been thinking about in terms of your work and in terms of my work and um like I've been uh posting photographs Mm -hmm. to Twitter and somewhat to Instagram since I've been here I was like a little diary of like you know each day and the other day I was like you know I was getting in the shower and I was looking in the mirror and I was like it's so weird that I wouldn't like, this is something I do every day. I have this like body brush thing and uh-huh. I like brush like dry brush. Yes, yes. I do the dry. And I, and it's interesting cause since I've been here, I don't, I don't know how this is for you. I'd love to hear like I've become either much more obsessive or aware of the ways in which I'm always obsessive. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I have to, I have all these routines here that I'm very attached to. Yeah. And so like at home I do the dry brushing, but like maybe I miss a day here. It's like, I can't, I have to do it. I have to do it. And then I, I have to go in the shower and I have like, I, I turn the shower on mm-hmm. before I dry brush so that it like warms up. And so, and then there's a mirror and it's a bigger mirror than the mirror that I have at home. Yeah. So I can see my naked body. Whereas mm-hmm. at home, I don't have a full length mirror and I like never see my naked body. Yeah. And so I was like, it's so weird that I wouldn't just like take a photograph of this and put this like, oh, day 23 out of 28, yeah. you know, <laughs> McDowell. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, but I, I'm not no. going to do that. And then I was like, but should I just take one for myself? And then I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. What I want is a tapestry (laughs) (laughs) of this image of myself. Yeah. And I don't literally, I mean, maybe I literally mean that, but what I really mean is like, there's something about the way in which your work is so explicit, but it's also... I don't even know the right word. It's almost like I know that the way I am seeing myself in the mirror is not actually going to be properly represented by the photograph. Mm-hmm. There, I don't know if it's the tapestry. I don't know. There's something missing. I don't know if it's like, oh, I just need a million filters. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something very, like, I've had people who contact me and start the process of a commission 
like and it almost feels like they're like you know they'll disappear eventually but they start the process and then they send me all of these nude photographs and it's like it's like they're women they're married you know it's like it's like almost this illicit thing that is somewhat allowed because like I've given them permission and like this is this transaction that's normal to me and um it's not sexualized it's very logical it's like I weave I can weave your naked selfie and so you send me naked selfies and then it's like but then they end up like I've had a few that follow through but there's been a few that also just go through that process and then disappear and it's like um there's something very interesting to like that like I've had people on Instagram send me pictures they're like I've never taken a picture like this and it's I, like that's I, crazy I had no idea that makes now I mean of course it makes sense yeah. like you're basically inspiring all the middle-aged ladies yes, yes. to to look at themselves naked and be like you know what I think Erin would really she I should really send this to her right <laughs> I should yeah, really this get is a, a woven yes, selfie yes. that's fascinating yeah it's really interesting yeah I mean, for me, like, part of what I realized was that I was making, I didn't know what I actually looked like, because we take these pictures, like, I had some amazing poses for the webcam, and then, like, you get the digital camera, and you have to figure out, like, self-timers, and then you have to find light, and in Brooklyn, I don't have natural light, so I don't take pictures anymore of Mm -hmm. my body, like, I'm also not dating, and so, like, I don't have people prompting me so I'm taking less and less sexualized photographs and I'm taking more and more just like factual photographs like body like hair like um there's somebody I follow who's this young um she's actually an embroiderer but she takes these photographs of her body and I'm just like amazed by um just the bluntness of it Mm -hmm. and it's like they're they're beautiful they're revealing but they're not like like slutty you Mm -hmm. know like and slutty is a good word but it's also like they're not Mm -hmm. they're just amazing and like like her stomach is out and it's just like the the repetition of them she's got stretch marks like there's something about the repetition of this that you slowly start to go, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And like, um, whereas in the beginning, it might be a little shocking to say, oh my God, your stomach, like you're showing us that, Mm -hmm. like this isn't a mistake. Like, and it's just so amazing to have these people online just reaffirming like, no, that's what my body looks like. And like, that's, I've been trying to do this recently where like, no matter the, like, I look different in every image almost of me like and I've always been like you know my cheeks are really big and so like I don't post the pictures of where my cheeks look really big and now I'm just like whatever Hmm. I look different and that's like my stuff doesn't mean that that picture's bad like my thighs look bigger in that picture but in this picture they look amazing and it's like I'm not going to not post this picture because of some stupid thing that I notice, you know. I was thinking about when you said earlier that initially people were describing your work as erotic and mm-hmm. you resisted that. And I feel like it's almost like one of the things I love about your work is like 
maybe there's a word that I'm just not thinking of, but I almost feel like there needs to be another word. It's not erotic. That's not the right Mm. word, but it's not just naked. Yeah. There's, I mean, the idea that it is provocative, that it's loving at times, that it's angry at times, that it, that it, that, that it's inspiring people, particularly women Mm -hmm. in this particular way to like, you know, want to have you weave their naked selfies Mm -hmm. like, like that, that's not erotic. That's not the right word exactly, but it's not, there is, it, it, there's some other thing that it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, someone recently said vulnerable, and someone was like, Erin is much stronger. She's not vulnerable. And I was like, no, actually, like, vulnerability is something I strive for, you know? like, And it's also not a weakness. But, yeah, I think there is something different. Like, because people just think that nudity and, like, like, a remnant of sexuality is not... Like, there's something, like, seeing a dick pic out of context is not erotic, it is charged when you're in a sexting situation and you have asked for it or, you know, that is erotic. And I think, um, like, just nudity, like, maybe it's because we can turn off our, like, sexual brains or something like that, but, um, or that we're not looking at, or we have an objective perspective on the female body Mm -hmm. I don't know I think for me I have this weird back and forth yeah I don't know do you feel um how about the male gaze on your work like do you feel have you have you run into trouble if if the women are saying (laughs) you know I, or at least imagining that they want you to weave the naked selfies. Like, what are the men, how are men responding? Um, and I don't mean to, like, you know, yeah. essentialize gender yeah. and say all men and all women, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm also asking, like, you know, by putting yourself in the work identifiably, um, mm-hmm. and it's and it's clear, you know, not just, it's clear that the artist is, is represented in the work. Yeah. So then it becomes easy to know who you are because your name is attached to the work. Um, do you, do you worry about that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I thought part of something I've always had a problem with was like, um, just kind of being a, like scary. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I never had people hit on me. I never had people like approach me or like um, seek me out. And it almost was this thing where I was like kind of annoyed by that. Like I want to be somebody who's like, like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if people were just hitting on you? Like um, obviously that's annoying, but um, that I have had those thoughts when I was young. And then um, so, yeah, like at first I thought people would like judge me and then there's been times when I thought oh no people are gonna think something of me you Mm -hmm. know people are gonna think it's easy to get pictures or um or like sexualize me privately but there's something about removing the privacy and the ownership of a body that 
um, de- like remove sexuality from it. Hmm. Like once I put myself out there, people like th- it's not salacious anymore hmm. to request a new photograph because not only do they run the risk of me weaving their nude photograph, but I am going to weave that photograph in the future, maybe. And so what's private between us will one day be public. Hmm. And so there is this, like, it loses this, like, intimacy and power. So, yeah, I don't have this problem where people are like, oh, like, send me pictures. So that brings me to another question, which is um, there are definitely people in my life who will say, don't put that in a poem. Uh Uh-huh. Um, does that come up for you now in your personal relationships and your sexual relationships? Like where people are like, I'm don't put, don't, don't, don't weave this. Um, or is that part of the thrill of being involved with you? Yes. I've had people who say like, Oh, my friends warned me about you. Like, you know, ha ha ha. And, um, but then sometimes I also feel a little bit like sad because sometimes my work is like, are people coming with preconceived notions and are like, does this kind of ruin the um, romance? You know, like does me talking about my dildos like ruin your like perception of me as a, but for me, like my work is sort of like abstract and also personal. So it's about sexuality in this like, relevant way but also about my personal sexuality so once someone takes the time to get to know me they realize there's layers to it all so mm-hmm. what are the things <laughs> that you won't weave or if there are I don't think there's anything I won't weave I think mostly the weaving restricts me because of con- like skill uh-huh. so there's things like um like fluids that I've really wanted to weave, but I can't weave them because they're like really hard to weave. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I've woven like almost every dick pic I've ever been sent. Wow. And I've woven them, the way I weave dick pics is I weave them and then I bleach them. Uh-huh. So they're all just bleached out. Like they're just like, it's really a cool because they just turn this like green kind of glow in the dark green color, which wool does once it's like dyed and then bleached. Um, wait a second. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. So they're like, you weave them picks. the way you weave the, the way you and weave anything else. And then I put them else. all in a pot with this bleach stuff. Like several tapestries at once. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just boil and then they just, the color disappears. And then they're just like a blank weaving of a, a blank di- But you can like kind of see the different colors and how they've, they like tonal in bleach. What? <laughs> Why tell why do you do that? Um, I think because it's like like dick pics are so like assaulting uh-huh. and aggressive and also like they lose so much like I've always wanted to understand the why someone takes a picture of their dick. Like like So these are not like you are involved with someone. Oh yeah, no no these are. Okay. Yeah. But when you have those and you're like, oh my God, you're amazing. And then like you break up or like the next day or like you're at the grocery store and you're just like, oh, yeah. like 
out of context, it's like what made me realize that was that I got a picture out of context. I was like oh. in line at Staples and I was like doing my thing and then boom. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. but I like knew I liked this person, but I was just like, this is gross. Like I, I'm in public and I am not attracted to this. And this is like, my brain is not there. And I realized, and then I started looking through and there's like similar pictures of me using a vibrator that are the same composition. And it's like, out of context, they look so weird. They're just like, just devoid of excitement, you know, but they're the same composition of a dick pic. And it's like, I under, I guess I understand why these pictures are taken because I've taken these vibrator pics, but like, um, to me, bleaching them is kind of like, like a, a way of like nulling them. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the poet, the writing equivalent of bleaching the dick pic is. That's <laughs> really interesting. Maybe, but it might actually just be writing it in a certain mm. kind of way mm. and not erasing it somehow. Yeah. But it's so interesting what you're saying because in some ways your work is all about taking something out of context. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but there's like, I mean, there's so many ways to take something out of context. And I totally understand what you mean about like, you know, out of context, these images become grotesque. Mm-hmm. They come, you know, they become like, like anatomical, yes. like they're just a fact. Yeah, like, which so, you, you, like, unless it was your thing, you wouldn't want someone to just like send you like you know dead body pictures right. or something. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, that's also often in art what most appeals to me is the way in which something is taken out of context or given a put into a di- a new context or a different context or. Or the times where I feel like I I am in the presence of a piece of art um, that like meaningfully and beautifully or like significantly like puts something in the wrong context. Like, oh, this shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Either this image shouldn't be a tapestry, or this tapestry shouldn't be in a gallery, or mm-hmm. or there's like that's a lot of the excitement that I feel about art. Um, like mm. I'm not that interested in like, wow, that's a really great portrait of the queen mm-hmm. in the palace. Mm-hmm. Not that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, all the ways in which like we fuck with that mm-hmm. is interesting, but I guess we're just talking about the context of the context, right? Like yeah, yeah. who are, who's sending it, who's receiving it when, where, um, yeah, oh my God, Aaron. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about McDowell for a second. So I have all kinds of projections that I'm putting on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it goes. Same. Yeah. And um, so I'm really interested. This is your second time at McDowell. Mm-hmm. I'm, and you've done a whole bunch of residencies. And I'm really interested in, um, even though it's going to replace some of my projections with reality, <laughs> to know like what 
why it's good for you um, to be in a residency because um, you currently don't have a partner and you don't have kids and mm-hmm. you don't live with, you're not like caring for your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of, do you have a day job? No. Okay. So you have a lot of what some might think of as freedom and yep. um, privacy. Yeah. And so how is it different to make work here or in a residency than in your other life? Yeah. That is something in the beginning, I think I got a lot of residencies because I was working a day job and I need the space, the freedom, the support, whatever. Um, And I've been having a hard time putting those words down when, yeah, I do. I don't have a job. I haven't had a job for like six years and, um, this is what I do. So for me, um, a residency is all about um, breaking the structure, breaking the regular format of the day, um, talking to people who I don't typically, I like literally sometimes only talk to the guy at the bodega. I don't talk to people out loud. Um, I don't have windows in my studio my home so I'm like literally like is it 8 a.m is it 5 p.m like I don't know what day it is um and also my work sometimes gets stagnant because I am not consuming the world Mm. and I'm not um I'm consuming it like in the news and social media but I'm not living and breathing and you know like eating and um living around things Mm. so like sometimes I just like to break. Like mm-hmm. I used like I was moving my studio like three times a year for those times and it was like th- moving your studio is really awful and feels awful. You you're delaying all the way up to the move and then you're moving and you're feeling uncomfortable and but you make your best work that way. You make your best work being uncomfortable and like um learning new things like sleeping in your car and um you know just like I slept in this weird motel on the way here and it was like there were just all these experiences that screw up your day-to-day I'm very rigid at home and so it's for me I really like breaking that Mm -hmm. so yeah hearing poets talk. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how important these dinner time conversations would be for me and the mm-hmm. open studios and the, you know, the little sharing of work. And it's very curious to me because, I mean, at home I feel so constantly interrupted um, by people and by responsibilities and domestic demands primarily. Um, But I also, um, when I'm not teaching, there will be whole days where like I'll say goodbye, you know, to my kids in the morning and then I, I just don't, I don't have any human interactions. Like... And that's weird too. It's like somehow, somehow 
this experience has, it's really hard to explain, but like, it's been this like insane gift of like privacy and solitude and quiet and autonomy and like, you know, lack of responsibility Mm -hmm. that I don't experience in my life at home, but also connection. Yeah. Um, but a particular kind of connection too, like, like an ability to like present myself anew. Mm -hmm. Um, I know. I keep thinking about like the things I'm saying in front of people I've had like, you know, 14 dinners with versus like, oh, that person's brand new. Yeah. So they're getting a different version of me, like a new, a more comfortable version of me, my, me. And then it's like, um, yeah, I think there's something so interesting to having all of these people whose brains are on. Yeah. We are on, we are focused and we are going to eat dinner and then we don't have any emotional, like, like responsibility to each other. So we're just going to like vomit words, like inspire each other or knock each other off our blocks. And then like, then go back to the studio. Yeah. And it's like, you could have somebody who's a crazy person or like, um, is super, like when I got here, I was not thinking about drugs about heroin Uh like I my work was all about me and when I got here everyone kept saying heroin like everyone because New Hampshire has a really big heroin problem so at dinner people just kept glibly kind of saying like oh you know like heroin and they just kept saying that word and I was just like oh god I didn't come here trying to think about this interesting and it really like really was distracting and I was like am I just gonna have this because the last time I was here, I made all work about heroin. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not coming here to doing that again. So, yeah. But then I started to be like, I started to just go, yeah, it's a problem here. Like, it's, yeah. I started to get less emotional about it. Uh-huh. And I started to go, oh, that's my trigger. Like, it's not their fault that that's my trigger. So, yeah. Um. What are the other things that, that have like broken (laughs) into your, (laughs) into your like creative space or like what you thought you were going to do. And now Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. And if you want, but you certainly don't have to like, what, what are some of your projections of me? Mm. Like what a weird, it's like a, such a weird opportunity to, (laughs) I feel very awkward asking how you are or like, yeah, 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 kind of. What do you think of me? Yeah. I I might be asking that. Yeah. As embarrassing as that is. I mean, so there's something also to feeling like the only one of like in your group or whatever, or like in your daily life, it's like, I'm the only tortured artist or whatever. So to be in a group of many, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're all the same. Like, we're all just like weirdos who have issues. And um, I say weirdos totally like welcome like as a nice thing um but there's so many things about you that I relate to like you talked about girlhood and like there's like these this like kind of crassness and like um you're into sports and there's almost like I feel bad 
like relating to you because I like know you want to be singular <laughs> and I want to be singular too. Right. I want to be me, but I'm relating to you in these things I don't normally relate to people about. So um, I felt drawn to you, but then I was like, I'm not going to be the person who like sits at the same table every night because <laughs> I've never really had friends who are like, we are friends. So I've been like trying to kind of absorb everybody's personality but I also like how you just ask questions and like in from an honest perspective and that's something I've been trying to do like if I don't understand something I want to ask a question mm -hmm. no matter like I love doing that at art openings because everybody's just so cool <laughs> and they're just like screw you guys like you're all so cool and like I'm just gonna ask a question because I don't understand what you're talking about and it's always very jarring and you can tell they're all just like, what? You're admitting you don't know that? So, um, yeah, I do like dinner time. I mean, it is kind of interesting how we reveal, we like unpeel the layers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's so fascinating. Like, and who knows, like, if it's always like this or because this is, you know, my first real experience like this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's so interesting. It's like, you know, I'd say 30% of the dinner conversations are about the food. Yeah. What, how lunch was, how the dinner is. And then just like, you know, fa fa like uh, favorite meals past. Yes. yes. And hopes for the future yes. meals. <laughs> it's like a very intense conversation yeah. about food yeah and then and then you know there's the weather mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. whether it's slippery or not but that's yeah. like my snowy yeah obsession um and then and then there's just like you know these incredibly um revealing uh things that come yeah. up and it's really interesting. And I, I also, it's, I really love the way you put it because I've also been really thinking about that a lot, like feeling so interested in the way that you ask questions and, um, and relating to that myself, like at the studios, like the open studios and the poetry readings, like I always am asking mm -hmm. like more questions than is my share. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you like trying to do like a podcast right now? <laughs> like, you know, like I can't not ask. Yeah. Um, and I'm like interested in the form of the question and like mm -hmm. all that stuff. And, but even at dinner and stuff, like, you know, to ask, um, those kinds of questions and, um, and like how, and to watch the way strangers become less strange to you, like mm -hmm. just, you know, the way things get revealed in this particular kind of context, like you don't know if somebody is straight or queer, you don't know if like, you know, where, like you, you start to gather information and like you, then you start to have assumptions about people, but then those assumptions get challenged and <laughs> things get more specific where someone's from, what kind of work they do, um, you know, all these different things. And then you feel like you're getting to know them more and more. And then you see their work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that is like a whole other thing. It's like a, I don't know. It's, it's usually just, the opposite. It's usually you see yeah. their work and then you go, oh, they're this type of person. Right. It's so great to meet people and to not know their work and to just be like, 
okay, you're a poet, and, like, I don't even know what that means, and then to go, and then to just meet you as a person. It's so interesting, too. I just, I just had a real a embarrassing realization, so it means I have to share it right away. Okay. Um, I think, for a while, I was the only poet here. Oh. Um, and now there's all these other poets, mm-hmm. and I really, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And I really like their work, and I'm really interested in them. Well, I guess that's not true. I came with Julene and, and Destiny at the yes, same time. Yes. So there always were two other poets. Yes. I was never the only poet. Yes. That's total revisionist history. But now <laughs> there were three yeah. and now there's like seven or mm-hmm. something. So it does, there, there was an, an influx of poets. Yes. All women. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because I think I feel, um, I think I'm noticing, like I really like, having more poets but I Mm -hmm. also had a little bit of like I'm just gonna I'm gonna be Erin's only poet I'm gonna like (laughs) define the genre for her and I'm gonna be you know which is ridiculous Mm -hmm. um but it is really interesting exactly what you're saying like to see um you know when when I saw I don't think you were here when Alex was here, but, um, were you? No, no. She was the first painter that I saw her open studio. And then I was like, Oh, well that's what painting is. Even though of course Mm -hmm. I'd seen paintings before. Um, and then I saw, I went to Dahlia's open studio Mm -hmm. and it was totally different. And I was like, wow, like painting is both of these things and many, many other things. And like, um, so that's been like, kind of riveting and then to think about the ways in which the work that I'm doing is similar or different um to you know other poets and and other um not poets yeah and and to feel like a real to to kind of think about like do I feel a kinship to you because of your temperament your affect your self-presentation or because to your work mm-hmm. um or and because I think, i'm not a poet or because you're not a poet and mm-hmm. there's something really pleasurable like when i went and looked at your work online mm-hmm. i was like holy shit this is so <laughs> amazing and i also had like a very sort of self-centered like feeling of like that's what i'm trying to do mm. that's what i'm interested that's what I'm trying to do in my poems. Oh, cool. And so I felt like this like real affinity, but in, in a way it was a, it was a kind of protected um, exercise because mm-hmm. not that there's competition, right. but there, there, it's be, because of the translation across genre, it could be this like really pleasurable, like intellectual, um, emotional identification without yeah. any kind of like, why aren't my poems good? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's something like when you're surrounded by people who all have the same fears and knowledge and rules or structure or versions of structure, there's like a there's a there's a delay in getting past that. Yeah. Like the past the where did you go to school and oh that school's better than my school and blah 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 and how are you going to feel and um do you know this gallery and do you know that and it's like it's the ego thing it's the flexing it's like the um letting yourself get to this emotional like space where you're okay and I think 
I kind of see that with like when there's a bunch of poets, like they talk about Iowa or like, which Iowa I know is a good school, but it has no emotional meaning to me mm-hmm. and it has no hierarchy. And so I'm like, I sort of receive that in this sort of flat way. Whereas I think with other people who that has value, it it's res- received differently. And I think the same way with visual artists, we have to just sort of be like, oh yeah, I know that person, or I know this, and we have to prove that we're on the same level. But like, we're all here. Yeah. Like, we're all on the same level. Like, and if anything, I kind of love that the like the most famous people, we're all just eating dinner together. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was here last time, I was so young. It was like, it was 25 or 26. And... I just felt so young mm. and I was like at eating dinner with people who are just like incredible, you know? And I was just like, this is insane. I just get to sit with these people and we all get to like drink and slurp and burp. And it's like, this is what we're doing. And then we just leave each other. And I don't know. I, like my life in Brooklyn is mostly male. Like I mostly mm. have a male group of friends in the art world and I really hate it. Like it's really, especially with the Me Too, especially with, like, sexual assault. It's just, I've been realizing how misogynist they all are. Mm. Like, how just, like, it's just the part of it. But why is, why is that? Why, are, why is it so male? I don't know. It's how it's always been. Like, I've always <laughs> shown sort of in these situations. It's moving away from it. But, like, I started showing in these situations where it was, like, a lot of gallery ratios are like you know eight men on a roster and Mm -hmm. a couple women and it's like um I've just always sort of accepted that ratio and it's like why like here it's been like we've been sitting at tables full of women I mean I think also like a lot of my friends who haven't been to residencies were just like oh you're gonna hook up and it's like gonna be the sexy time and it's like for me, I'm so serious. It's almost kind of annoying how serious I get. Yeah. Especially at residencies because it's like, I'm not here to hook up with people. Like, it's so, like, it's so boring. Like, that's not what I'm here for. I don't um, even have time. Even I know. Even if I was interested. I, I just, I mean, it's, it's funny because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm taking too long. She has to get back to work. No. Um, but le- <laughs> no, 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 not no. in that way. But it's like, <laughs> no, but really? I, even this felt very taboo. Both for, yeah. I felt like, um, I felt like I, I can't, I can't go talk to her because I have to just bang my head against the wall of this mm-hmm. writing problem. Yes, and yes. also like, I can't take her time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting to think about like how, how I have, you know, like I can work like 10, 12 hours yeah. a day here and also feel like I don't have enough time still. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think I was going to ask you that I didn't ask you or what do you want to talk about hmm. that I didn't? I feel like you are so like, incredibly and wonderfully open about <laughs> your work and your process and your life. And um, well, I, I think you inspired that. I think oh. You're pretty open. Yeah, I am. Like, I think at first I remember being like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, like what? Like, Like, why is she sharing all of that? Because, like, sometimes you're just, like, like, when you arrive, you're, like, trying to be cool. And I always (laughs) try to be cool. And then someone's like, what are you working on? And then you're like, I'm weaving a dildo. And then you're like, oh, okay. Like, the work makes you not cool cool anymore or like mysterious you're just like 
why do you weave dildos? And then you're just like, let's get into it. So, um, so yeah, I always come and I try to be like chill. Like I always try to like cover my tattoos and like be very normal and like make sure people don't think I'm the weird one of the group. And, and I'm typically not the weird one of the group. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Like there are much weirder people here. And, um, so yeah just kind of like quell people's because I've had people make assumptions and like not talk to me because of those assumptions interesting like in grad school there was like always these assumptions and like you know just like I don't know so I tried to be straight and narrow in the beginning Uh uh-huh and let people respect me and um yeah so you were talking about things and I was like, oh yeah, I can talk about things too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because that's, it. like, there's something about talking about heavy things or personal things that makes everyone feel frantic. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, she's out of control. Like, it's all so crazy. And it's like, no, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not, like, having a mental break. It's like, I'm just talking about a thing that's heavy. And, like, if you can't handle it, like, just don't eat dinner with me tomorrow. Like, yeah. it'll be okay. I'm not, like, losing it. It's just a thing. That is such a... Yeah, that's a big... Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think, like, yeah. there's that level it's of, like... so true. Reflection of going, oh, she does what I do. And I'm I'm putting my own projections of my... How people perceive me onto her. But I actually like this. I like being like, hi this is happening. Like, I don't like doing, Hey, how's your day? What's your, where are you from? Like, let's just talk about things that are real. Okay. I'm having a thought, which is, (laughs) (laughs) I think that that, I think that what you're describing is part of why I make poems. Like, being able to be who I really am Mm -hmm. in the work and to be potentially too much, Mm -hmm. you know, falling apart, um, heavy stuff, no filter. Of course there's a filter. Of course there's like a composition, but, but the illusion or close to, you know, that, that self. Yeah. Um, but to put the work into the world is to, on some level, to have survived. Like, you know, I'm not, I showed up for dinner. I'm not Sylvia Plath. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, yeah. like your work is in the gallery. Like, h- however, you know, however weird you are, right. you're also a person who's able to make the work interface with the gallery, you know, put it there you know be on Instagram Mm -hmm. sell your work like you you and and I think that there's like a way in which it's very hard or it's it's potentially complex when you are married to an artist or you are friends with an artist or you're even just friends with somebody who is a human being (laughs) and therefore has feelings and is messy um and is maybe too much and I think that like I, th- I think that, that dinner here or social interactions here are 
are limited or or they're somehow in the context of they they have a certain kind of security um that i feel in my work even more so but not like in my everyday life like Mm -hmm. you know if i show up and i think part of this might just be like code switching which like as white people we're not maybe as used to because we haven't had to do it as much but Mm -hmm. like so like i don't i don't go to soccer and and like be my my most poet self Mm -hmm. with first of all, nobody seems interested. And if they are, and I, and I start to open up and say what I'm actually working on, it's, they just like move away from me. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or, you know, the one I like ask if I medicated. Right. They want to help you. To fix me, to like norm me, to like get me back on track. And like, I think that it's a combination of like the limitation of the social interactions here and also like being around like, everybody like people who have like had to come to terms with their weirdness and accept it to some extent or they really wouldn't be making art yeah like it's just I just don't know anybody you know who is not to glorify art and artists but just a certain kind of level of like whatever um and you know when I come into contact you know with the emotional intensity of other people here I don't feel responsible for them. No, yeah. And so I'm just purely fascinated. Yeah. And 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 inspired and engaged and and like perplexed <laughs> and but I don't feel it's not it's not my kid. It's yeah. not it's not my partner. It's not my best friend. I don't have to there's no point where I felt that I have to say to someone like I think you need treatment for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's like a really, I don't know, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. I think that's also something. It's like working, like I'm doing well. Like my work is gr- great. And sometimes I feel guilty about that. But it's like I am so lucky. I'm s- my it, Things are good. And I often have situations where I have an issue, like I'm nervous or, um, you know, what does this email mean? And because I think my friends are my friends, I can say, oh, I got this weird email and what does it mean? And they want to, without any context, they want to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like, to me... Like, I'm not super, I don't have, like, a like a whole experience with friends and, like, this deep thing. But, like, to me, it's like, oh, let's just, I'm just saying this. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to solve this because you're not in involved in it at all. But, like, it's just, like, an anecdote of my day. And it's, like, here, it's, like, if I said, oh, I got this weird email from a gallery, no one would be, like, well, this is what the gallery means to say. Mm-hmm. Because no one cares. Like, it's just, like a part of the day and like they're going to hear it or they're not going to hear it. Like I think there's something very odd to the solving of problems that aren't your own. And like sometimes you just got to talk and like, if you aren't interested in what I'm saying, just be like, I don't care. Like, yeah, don't try to solve it. Um, so yeah, here everyone just seems 
I think there's something really amazing and pure about saying like, or just like the unsaid, I'm here to focus on my work. Yeah. Like even my first day here, I met somebody and they were like, it doesn't really matter what my name is. Like they told me their name and then they were like, it doesn't matter what my name is. Like we're both here to focus. Uh Like if you forget my name, it doesn't matter. And I was like, awesome. Like I don't care. Like I, you're a human and we're eating breakfast together, but like, yeah, totally. Like, I think, I think there's so many things that I hope I can keep from this experience Mm -hmm. or like, I mean, I can't, you know, there's mostly it's going to disappear. Yeah. Um, and I'll have the work that I made here. You can come back (sighs) one day. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that I've learned some things like I'm not big on like I learned this, but um, I think it's really important to spend some time in a place where you don't have to care about fixing other people's problems in a certain kind of way and where other people are not trying to fix you Mm -hmm. or like make you better or make you different or make you be something that you they need you to be or they want you to be or they think you should be you know and that at least in my experience here like the ways in which people are surprised at who how (laughs) you're different than they thought Mm -hmm. are the things that people are most excited about yeah um which I think is like a fundamentally different way than we mostly go about interacting with other human beings yeah it's all based on like preconceived and then we kind of have to fight ourselves to unravel that whereas here it's like we get where are you from what studio are you in what's your medium yeah and oftentimes it doesn't move on from that but sometimes it does and then there's people who you think you are friends with who you like and then they move to a new table and then they have they seem to have a click with an- another person and you're like okay you know it's like it's n- kind of nice and meanwhile it's like that which I think is essential and I didn't get how essential that is combined with this other thing which is like you know I don't have exactly that same thing that you were talking about like the first time you came to McDowell like oh my god I'm sitting here you know Mm because mostly I like don't know right but I also do feel that to some extent like you know now I feel like when I see you I'm like that's the woman who made me look at my body differently (laughs) that's the weaver that's the first weaver I've ever met yeah and she made me think about poetry differently and like oh my god she asked like the most in a weird way essential question about my book that like I've been writing for five years and like I didn't under like it just I just I really needed someone to say wait what's prose I I just and so it's weird because it's that it's that it's that simultaneous contradiction between not caring Mm -hmm. and being like kind of deeply changed yeah um or like not being responsible but being really vulnerable and open yeah yeah totally (laughs) all right should we get back to work yes 
Great. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my God. Amazing. This has been episode 47 of Commonplace Conversations with Poets and Other People. I'm Rachel Zucker. Commonplace producers are James Ciano, Nicholas Fuenzalita, and Christine LaRusso. Our advisor in all things is Daniel Schiffman. Music performed and written by Moses Zucker Gorin, design work by Eitan Darwish. Thank you so much to all the patrons and to the presses who support Commonplace. Thank you all so much for listening.